0: When you're listening to Battle Red Radio, I'm Matt Weston tonight. I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest one of them all, our good pal BFT. How are you doing tonight, man? Woo! Oh, I
1: saw, that should have been a longer woo if you're going to take a drink. Yeah, I, I thought mean, I, I was late. Like I had to fill a in the air second
0: time. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> it's February. Here's the enthusiasm. There we go. It's February. There's nothing left for it all whatsoever. Except for the XFL, I guess, and um, you know, going online checking in every once in a while. One of the things I've tried to do this year is not like scroll through the internet, but just check something and then get off of it. And every time I checked this weekend, it was like step out the XFL. And so i gonna make this finally clear: the XFL is dumb. It's bad. It's stupid. And if you're watching the XFL, you should find other things to do instead of watch football. You should probably go see a psychiatrist. You should go for a walk. You should read a book. You should shoot baskets. You should read the new baseball prospectus. Uh, you should go to the gym. You should go for a run. You should scratch your dog. There's a million other things that are better to do than watch substandard football after we just watched you know, football for seven months or whatever. Uh, so I have no interest at in all in it personally. Uh, but the little bits I did see, I went... I went out to eat on Saturday and they had on the television. I really think the XFL is just funded by sports clips and sports bars and barbecue restaurants. So they can have something to play on a Saturday at three o'clock once football's over. And I got some glimpses of the Houston Roughnecks. And could you imagine Deshaun Watson and June Jones' offense? How good he'd be?
1: I mean, this election would last at least like two months. I mean, seriously, it would be, June Jones knows what to do with football players. He, just look what he did with Jim Kelly. I mean, the dude knows offenses. Oh, my gosh. That would be. Whew.
0: Yeah, just like just throw the ball vertically and have a fast quarterback.
1: Oh, 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 hold on. I need a moment. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm done. It didn't take very long.
0: Yeah, you know, like, uh, Andy Sandberg <laughs> at the checkout aisle.
1: <laughs> you kids and your references I don't get.
0: Yeah, this one this is a reference from like 2006 or so, I think. <laughs> I think I'm six, but it's fine. Uh, yeah, so i watched a glimpses of that, and I guess their quarterback from Temple is like five for 11. And I thought Connor Cook was supposed to be the quarterback, and I was kind of yeah. upset that we couldn't have time, repeat fold over itself and repeat and see Connor Cook playing in Houston after losing a playoff game to them in that same city. And the last time he actually played a football game, and that was the only professional game he played, was in, uh, the, in Reliant Stadium, I guess, at the time. And you know, Van Clowney pretty much won a playoff game by himself in that one.
1: Yep. And just think, just think that was Bill O'Brien's only playoff victory was beating Connor Cook, the three strings, you know, quarterback who never played, who's never going to play another NFL game the rest of his career. Yeah.
0: Bye-bye. Yeah. He did. Well, and then he beat, um, Josh Allen. And we all know that was, I, I, that game was still so unbelievable, but, uh, The other thing too, it's, you know, looking at the Texans off season and we'll do a season preview shortly enough. I, you know, the off season is so long that I really wanted to savor and enjoy, I guess just what happened. I know like a lot of the other people who write about the Texans or fans of the team who read about people who read the things people about the Texans write is that they go immediately from the season to Texans season review and what just happened to the Texans and like, yeah, the playoffs are on. There's a lot of good football left to play. And so I was more interested in like the Super Bowl, for example. And, you know, the preview the conference championships and things like that, then to get into the season preview then. So now we're doing it now instead. But so we'll get into a bunch of offseason stuff, you know, probably as soon as next week. And the one thing that I want to talk about that may come up here pretty quickly is DJ Reader. And so Reader may be the, the he's the only tag candidate for Houston. And that's something that we could possibly see before we even get a chance to get, get make our way around over to start doing some offseason preview stuff. So like, where do you land on Reader? Would you want to extend him? Would you want to tag him? Would you want to keep him around?
1: If 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 I in my perfect world, we would have never given Angela Blackson the contract we did last year.
0: Well, they can cut in him, In my though. perfect, they could cut them at and this point. Four yep. million. Uh, they're not. I think they will.
1: I. I you think they're going to cut Blackson?
0: Yeah, because they have the same thing in like Carlos Watkins. You know. Well,
1: they have the same thing. There's like forty Jags <laughs> that are that are Angelo Blackson.
0: Well, he is special teams player of the month. That is a good point. <laughs> We're forgetting about that very valuable piece oh of God. information.
1: Oh my gosh. Anyway, in my perfect world, yes, I would have already have tied him up for a long term. The thing is 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 we have a lot of guys who need help on the defensive line. Whitney Merciless can't win one on one battles. DJ Reader has a really hard time creating pass rush all by himself. If, if, if he can be double, I mean, it's, it's hard to create an internal uh, inside pass rush if you're being blocked by two guys. And that's what we were seeing with Reader uh, off and on. But he also seemed to get tired as the season went on where he was not as effective after the first couple of games. In a perfect world, I would sign him to a reasonable contract. I would not have signed Blackson, or I cut Blackson now and devote that money to him. But if you're going to give me the choice that I've got to either re sign DJ Reader, or I need to, or I can go out and sign a Bud Dupree, or a uh, Ngakwe, or um, a Shaq Barrett, you got to go with the edge, guys. I, I think you have to because we're so lacking on the edge. You kick JJ Watt back inside. And you let them do a thing there, and maybe go get some talent that can actually get to the pass rusher from the inside. But I think we have to get guys who have a proven track record of creating pressures against the quarterback. And that's just honestly, it's not Reader, which is why I think we should go outside and spend that money elsewhere. And those guys are going to be ex- are expensive. They're going to be crazy.
0: Yeah, like Watts to yeah. fifteen and a half million this year, and and Galway's going to probably make as much as that. He'll probably make sixteen or seventeen. I think Dupree probably will. I think Armstead will. Like all the top, even Clowney, he's going to make as much as that. So if you are signing one of those top pass rushers in this free agency class, you're going to have to pay around $16 million a year, probably.
1: If they make it to free agency.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, too. And uh, yeah, I mean, I feel the same way with it. Like I would not pay Reeder $10 million a year. I would cut blacks and save up money. The The Merciless re signing really sucks because that's $12 million this year mm-hmm. and next year for a guy that can't create pass rush on his own at all whatsoever. The Reader thing, I wouldn't extend him just because he doesn't rush the passer. And also he played a lot of three, four defensive end too. this thing that he played nose tackle predominantly all year isn't true. Whenever Watt went down, they put him at defensive end they put Dunn in nose tackle and their run defense fell from, you know, like being a top 10 one, two and a below average one, whenever Watt went out. And, uh, and I really think like Reader showed pass rushing skill, but I think he just got tired having to fend the run so much. And I think it's the biggest reason for it. And so I think a different team with a better defensive line could probably untap um, some of the pass rushing stuff because he showed you know, glimpses of it. Like, he had four sacks pretty quickly, but it was just having consistent pressure. He didn't do anything really after the, the Chargers game on. You know, that was kind of the end of his pass rush. I think he had a sack in the land too, but it was one of those kind of vulture sack varieties so as well. Clean up sacks, yeah. Yeah, like one of those Tyler uh, yeah, I- Fackrell sacks, you know.
1: Right. <laughs> or Whitney Merciless sack, really. Yeah. Uh Zing. Um that's one again, I, I I get confused and addled in my old age. It's like, you know, you, you go out and you give Blackson four mil a year and you give Merciless what do you get twelve?
0: He they they're gonna pay him twenty four million dollars the next two years. And they can get out of there yeah. after those two years, but again Merciless is thirty one and he already can't create passers on his own.
1: So, so you've given these two guys all that money when uh, you could you could sign an Ngakwe you could with that money. I mean, it's just like, would you make that theoretical trade, Merciless and and Blackson for Ngakwe or Dupree or somebody like that? This is what makes it so stupid that Merciless signing. Like, if again, it's going back to change the world. Blackson again, we can do whatever. Merciless, why?
0: It's, yeah, it's a
1: st- stupid set of moves. No, I,
0: Sorry. I agree. And the hard thing, the thing that makes the Merciless sign, like, I think Merciless would get that much on the open market, but it's just the opportunity cost to get Merciless $12 million. It's that you could just, for the $4 million more, you get somebody like Armstead, Dupree, or Ngakwe. Somebody can actually create a pass rush on his own. And, like, edge rushers are, like, well known, like, edge edge defenders get. You know, somewhere between ten and twelve million dollars, kind of easily. So that's why I think Merciless would get something around there. I don't think it's like a bad market value contract, like they overpaid for him. But I think it was a bad decision for the need that this team had. It wasn't like they just needed Lock and Merc- Merciless to keep something going. This was one of the five worst pass defenses in football last year they were trying to try and improve this season and extending Whitney Merciless um, doesn't do that at all whatsoever. You know, like it's like the difference between him and Brent Scarlet really isn't that big at all at this point. The difference is that Merciless kind of, like, falls his way into making some big plays, you know. The ball bounced his way a lot last year. Fortuna spun okay. her, her wheel towards him, I guess.
1: <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, how can I argue with that? Because, it's, I mean, it's true. They're, they're not... And, and the other big thing, and I've harped on this in the past, is he's hit the Magic 30. He's hit the Magic 30, he's on the downhill, and we give him a big contract. I don't think he would have gotten that on the open market because... He's never shown that he's a he's good enough to be a one man show on to get to the quarterback. He's never shown that. I think we literally outbid ourselves for Whitney merciless for what he would have gotten. I don't think he would have gotten more than six or seven million on the open market.
0: yeah, well we disagree on that. Uh, I think the timing about that contract was weird though, where it happened week sixteen after the Texans never give contracts up during the season, and they resigned Brian Anger. And Anger's contract didn't go through at first because the paperwork was wrong. And they go back and resubmit it. And then also Chris Olsen was fired, you know, immediately after the postseason too. And so maybe there's some sort of disagreement internally that you know, Olsen was like, Yeah, this is a bad idea if you pay merciless this much. And um and maybe he was involved in team decisions at that point. But who knows? It's speculating. It was just kinda of weird the timing of it all. But that was then, and I guess this is still then. So for tonight's show, we're gonna focus on some imaginary Houston Texans awards to celebrate the 2019 season. And we've done this show before in the past, and it's usually a fairly fun time. Um, it's a shame Dollar Chris is so busy, you know, building houses and, or painting houses, I should say, uh, you know, in his free time. So the first award I have here is if you can't say something nice. So, what's the nicest thing you can say about Bill O'Brien in the 2019 season?
1: he was far more aggressive on fourth downs.
0: That's a good one.
1: And I, and I really got to give him mad props for that. He, he wasn't as aggressive as he needed to be, but still what we saw was we saw like, we saw super conservative. There's only two spices, salt and pepper in the spice rack and pepper is way too spicy for me. Conservative coaching the past, the first five years. And so just to see even that little adjustment on fourth down was, was quite frankly, it was, it was refreshing. It was, um, my heart burst of joy. Look, if I'm an NFL HUD coach and I look at the numbers, I would almost never punt the ball. I would go for it on like 90% of fourth downs because the stats prove it out that it looks a lot better to do that. Yes, there are certain situations. If you're fourth and 18, punt. But if you're fourth and three, go for it. Yeah, and so it's it's it was nice to see that he he stepped up the aggressiveness. I would I would actually like to see how he was backed up against the league on four thousand, uh, how aggressive he was for it because that would be. I, I bet he got kind of to the middle of the road because before that he was probably near dead last.
0: Yeah, I uh, whenever I wrote the awards post, I can join together with with this podcast we're doing right now. So I talked about the worst O'Brien decision, and I said it was the fourth and one field goal against Kansas. City made that game 24 to zero instead of, you know, potentially 28 to zero. And one of the things that was really peculiar about that decision was that Houston led the league in fourth and one attempts. I believe they had 12 and they converted, you know, 67 a half percent of the time when they went for and fourth and one. And for whatever reason, that situation they punted or they kicked the field goal. And if you want to know the win probabilities, I have it here on a post-it note real fast. So, before they kicked the field goal, their win probability was 93.6%. After they kicked the field goal and Harmon returned the ball that far, it, it dropped down to 84.8%, which is like a 9% difference. If they didn't get the fourth down conversion, their win probability would drop to 81.4%, 8, which is a 3% difference than actually kicking the field goal and Kinsey getting the ball where they got it. But if they convert on fourth and one, their win probability would have jumped up to 95.6%. <coughs> And so it, ends, it ended up being about, like, 11% swing from going for and potentially converting compared to actually doing the kickoff there at that point.
1: And how – you know, McCall, McCall Hardiman was, like, the most electrifying return man in the NFL this year. I mean, the guy is crazy quick. And we punted the ball willingly – or, yeah, we kicked the ball off willingly to him. It It just – it was just <laughs> – I just, I, I sometimes don't have the words with Bill O'Brien's strategy because it's just so perplexing. I, I feel like I think very logically, I, I, I deal with logic all day. I deal with computers. I deal with, I need to solve this problem. I, I need to come up with a solution for this thing. And then I, I see Bill O'Brien as a head coach and I think, oh my God, does he not just, can he not connect any dots? And that was just one of those times. Yeah. Yeah. My brain I'm... hurts.
0: <laughs> So they, so on fourth down, they had 13 fourth down conversions, which was tied third. Baltimore led the league with 17. This is all during the regular season. And they ran, they went for it 24 times on fourth down and punted it 57 times during the 2019 season.
1: That's much better. I like that. Yeah, much better.
0: Baltimore, uh, had 21, 21 fourth down attempts out 43, and then for nine clean field goals. Uh, but they converted, I guess, 17. They converted 17 out of their 21 attempts. And I can, let's say, so they're were, they were the best team at like a per um, conversion rate in the NFL, except for whenever they played the Tennessee Times, of course, because nothing they did made any sense this postseason.
1: I'm, no. proud,
0: I'm proud of them. I'm proud of how absurd that random football is this year. Um, so my, my answer to this one is, I liked his offense a lot against Atlanta when it was really vertical and down the field. The only bad thing about Bill O'Brien is that when he finds something that works, he doesn't know how to tinker with it to keep expanding upon it or understanding it doesn't work anymore and try other things. And the problem with that game was that all their route combinations were just deep Yankee concept routes where it's just Hopkins and Fuller crossing and they would have the safety make a decision and throw it to the other guy. And they just ran that play for the rest of the season and teams caught on. And that was like max protect two, two deep crossing routes just stopped working after a while. Also, I like the pass option offense against Kansas City, but then that offense stopped working after the second Indianapolis game where, yeah, it works when you play Oakland, it works when you play Jacksonville, teams with bad linebackers, but it failed to work anymore more after that. And still, even against Buffalo, they were trying to run that play and had no success with it. So that's the that's my nice thing to say about Bill O'Brien.
1: Oh, good. You're so sweet.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the next word we have here is the worst offseason decision. So I guess we can call this a charlie casterly scratch it out rick smith scratch it out brian gain scratch it out bill o'brien worst offseason decision
1: are you sure are you throwing this one to me because that was my question for you
0: was i'm giving it to you now
1: oh okay wow um the worst one and i don't because i just don't want to pick on on years, but I, I and it wasn't necessarily an off season. It was just a, a move that was made at the from the general manager position. And I think for me, it was with with all the questionable things that they did. You know, Max Sharping in the second round, Titus Howard in the first. I think we're all questionable. Um, Lonnie Johnson to me was just such a ridiculously awful pick, but he's got skills. He, he's fine. Uh,
0: he may be Gillespie.
1: good. He may be he Long he was the he worst cornerback yeah. in the NFL last year.
0: He has like the body to be good, but the reason why I didn't like the pick was that they needed cornerback talent right now. Like he had somebody could play this season and Johnson wasn't that old whatsoever, as we learn, you know, time and time again.
1: And Grady Williams was decent. Greedy Williams, I'm sorry, not Grady. So but he tackled I think the pretty one well that was really, year too. I he
0: did. Yeah, he was a pretty good tackler.
1: But the one that's really has, has stuck in my crawl the most out of all of these, aside from the Lonnie Johnson, if I wasn't trying to be original, I would probably go with Lonnie Johnson, is the trade, the third round pick for Gary and Conley really sticks with me, like in an awful, terrible way. This is a guy who could not play with the Raiders, who's been terrible. And then, you know, Baltimore goes out and gives up a fifth round for Marcus Peters, and we give up a third round pick for Gary and freaking Conley. Ridiculous. Such an overpay,
0: Matt. Yeah. And I guess the reasoning behind that was, well, Conley's in her contract for another year, I guess. And then who knows? I don't care. Yeah, I know. I don't but, care. And like, who knows what sort of like front office wizardry the Baltimore is able to pull. Like, They always get the best out of every trade they make. And they always are able to really find the margins in the league too. But uh, yeah, that's a good one. And also, like, I don't think Conley's very good. I think Conley is a better version of Cerise Wright, where next year he's going to get beat a lot. Because a lot of the plays that he made last season were chasing back and playing the football, he was beat a lot of times last season, and the he got away with some well I thought were defensive pass interference penalties. Like oh, yeah. that Oakland game is a really great example. Um, some of the things they allowed him to get away with in that game were kind of wild. And then uh, you know he just he was able to chase back and make plays on the ball, which is something all great cornerbacks do. But great cornerbacks don't find themselves in those situations time and time again.
1: I mean, at some point, the guy is just going to become Jacques Reeves, and he's going to be out of the league. Because that's who he reminds me of. He's got long speed. He doesn't know what he's doing in coverage. He's he's just, oh, my God, he's terrible to watch.
0: Yeah. the My worst offseason decision decision was signing Matt Khalil to start left tackle. And whenever they signed, I thought this was like a depth thing, like a competition thing. And then you see the contract, and the game is $7.5 million. And you don't give a guy $7.5 million Unless you are you have this idea that he's going to start. And like, yeah, I'm very very aware. I know if you're listening to this and you're very angry. I'm very aware that, yeah, there is a roster bonus assigned to that where they only pay him $2.5 million because they come before the season started. I know all about that. But still that time, though, they gave him $7.5 million to be their starting left tackle. Um, and that just start, set off just like such a, a nuclear detonation across the rest of the w- roster. One of the problems is in the draft class, I think Howard and Sharping were good. They are better than I imagined that they were going to be, but Howard couldn't play left tackle, Sharping couldn't play right tackle, and if you go back and read everything I wrote about Sharping last year, it's like, this guy can't play tackle, he doesn't have a slide for it, he's going to have to develop and learn how to play it, and they forced him to play guard as well, and so now you have Khalil at left tackle, we all know he can't play it, then the season's about to start, and they even Bill Brian Benjamin him in practice, so People couldn't watch him flail around there. Like, to
1: to him. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? You're going to hide Matt Khalil sucking?
0: Yeah. Ow. Remember, <laughs> and that was so funny last summer. It was like, yeah, Matt Khalil isn't practicing today. Nobody knows why. It's like, because it was a terrible decision and they don't want you to see how dumb they were to make this decision. And then it leads to Bill O'Brien shopping to Davion Clowney after the franchise tag, after the deadline to be able to extend franchise tag players, which severely limited his market value and it led to the tensile trade, which again the tensile trade's great because it doesn't it didn't affect the two thousand nineteen Texans. It's gonna affect the Texans next year and really affect them the year after, whenever they start paying Deshaun Watson thirty five million dollars a year or whatever. Um, but yeah the Khalil signing is the worst decision to me. Not necessarily because it affected the team in twenty nineteen, but the ripple effects that created throughout the uh, throughout the team for the from that point on.
1: And the the thing about the um, Khalil signing, it just reminds me of the Merciless sign. Who are we? Who are we like bidding against? Mm -hmm. Like, were we actually like, oh yeah, Matt Khalil, look at this. Here's a real offer, and it's written in crayon. Yeah, he's gonna get six point five million from the Browns. (laughs) Yeah. Now that's just I mean, is that what we're bidding against? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it it seems to be because nobody else in the league was gonna touch. Khalil nobody was going to touch him for 7.5 million
0: well and, and it's even like they signed Donald Penn like I don't particularly like Donald Penn but Donald Penn was like a below at like a slightly below average left tackle and if you retired Julian really Davenport fine like you ruined him by making him play right tackle in 2018 and you completely lost all confidence in him because of that fine yeah that's your decision um he played actually pretty well in Miami last year but if there's other guys available to you and you went with Khalil because he had this pedigree of a first round pick and you haven't watched football in, you know, four years aside from your own players. But um yeah, that whole thing was again, it didn't hurt the Texans at nineteen. It in the fact that Khalil was horrendous or anything like that, but it, it set off this ripple effect throughout the roster. And I also kind of feel like if they don't sign Khalil, if they actually draft a left tackle could start that spot or whatever, like maybe Clown doesn't get traded at that point. Because they don't have to worry about fixing left tackle position like the week before the season starts, you know.
1: Well, the the whole clowny trade deserves its own award <laughs> yeah. of stupidity.
0: And it can be the <laughs> upper echelon of all stupidity. I mean, I think it's the worst move, um, Houston made, and and the thing about the clowny trade is weird. It's like it didn't really destroy them the season until it did against Kansas City. But there were repeated games where it's like, yeah, it has been really great to have Clowney here, but you know, Watson made a bunch of plays and kinda of saved it. But like a per play basis, you know, the Texans pass defense is awful and it was horrendous and it was one of the bomb five and they had a bomb five pass rush and everything else, but they were able to, you know, get by by big plays by their best players defensively. And also like, you know, Watson and Hopkins and you have know, full any play just being, you know, amazing at what they do as well too. So I think next year's gonna I mean, I guess the biggest thing about this offseason, one of the things I'll write about for whenever of our numbers previews that a review is that like this team has to get better this off season. Like this 2019 wasn't something to build on for 2020. This is a team that has a lot of holes and has a lot of things has to improve on to, you know, fight off the, the wild beast of regression to the mean.
1: Oh yeah. And we're all, it seems like since
0: 2013,
1: it really seems like we've been on the right side of regression to the mean every season. Except, that's what's been crazy Except
0: for the Tom Savage season. That was the only one.
1: Well, yeah. But the Tom Savage season, if you, if Tom Savage is a quarterback, that's you're, you're just yeah asking for
0: it. Well, yeah. and also like with Watson at quarterback, I think they were like two and four, one score games. Like they were a game below 500 after he tore his ACL in practice that week too. So like they were, they were already, they were dealing with it that year, but I, I mean, they have to get better this off season. Um, and then also I recorded record podcasts yesterday with field goals about the Clowney trade, like the extension. with oh, yeah, Seattle really? Did. Yeah, so I recorded <laughs> that. So whenever I get the link, I'm going to post on the website, but that's something you can listen to later this week. Uh, so what's your next award you have here?
1: Uh, So the next was the best. It was the Gary Kubiak, because he's been the best GM in, in Texans history. The Gary Kubiak, best move of the offseason.
0: This was really hard. Like, very difficult. Uh, I sat, and, I, and probably I'm probably about to say that I'm probably missing something very important here. And I, I circled, and I thought, and I thought, I was like, well, I mean, I guess it has to be either Tayshon Gibson or Bradley Roby, you know? Like, I guess that has to be it. And neither one was particularly great at all. Like, Gibson just played center field and made sure the deep pass defense wasn't horrendous, which was very important for this team, that they had a good deep pass defense because they had, like, the 31st, ranked short pass defense. Um, I guess I'll have to say Roby. Like he's fine. Like he's pretty good. Um, he's definitely not number one cornerback that you want to have on a really good pass defense. But he was, you know, passable in that role this season. And I don't think I would not want to live in a world where you're paying Bradley Roby sixteen million dollars a year to be your locked out number one cornerback. But I think for one year, $10 million, he was fine at it. I think the only problem the Texans made though with the Roby sign was that they should have made, you know, two more signings like that. And that was one of the things we talked about a lot last offseason that, yeah, this roping signing good. They should make two more of them so they don't end up doing what they did this season, which was you know, trade through on pick for Gary and Conley and sign Vernon Hargreaves and sign Philip Gaines and, and miss Philip Gaines whenever he got hurt even. Uh, the things that got that bad too.
1: So I'm going to go a bit differently with this because I just hated them so much. But I think not signing Tyron Matthew was the best move we made in the entire season uh and i'm including the Tunsil trade in that i still look it's been five months since, six months whatever months since that trade and i still don't know how to feel about the Tunsil trade because we gave up so much right but not signing tyron matthew that was the only a decent thing that brian gain did he was fine matthew was in kansas city this year he was fine he played very well at the end of the season he was fine he was torched throughout the super bowl game That's more normal for him. And the fact that we did not tie ourselves around his axles really, I thought was a great move. Uh, The other thing that goes along with this is that Gibson, Gibson played kind of relatively even play with um, Matthew throughout most of the season until he started slowing down at the end of the season when he was getting hurt, Gibson was, but it allowed Justin Reed, I think to really flourish as a safety. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's why I think not signing, the honey badger was the best thing we did all year from the from that perspective
0: yeah that that makes sense um i mean i think for what they all i think what made that i mean i think matthew was really good in kansas city but i don't think he would have been used the same way in houston they paid him as much as no like if you watched me played slot corner he played robber he played free safety he played backside run defender he played you know like the um, he played the match defender and zone match coverages and man match coverages too. Like he did everything for Kansas City and Houston. He played slot corner. He covered tight ends and he played free safety. And like that's not Matthew's skill set at all. And so I think it was a great decision for Houston just because it would have been um, he would have been worth the money that he got to do to not to be a lesser version of himself in Houston. And I think they got the what they got out of Gibson is comparable to what they would have gotten Matthew out of the same role. And I like Justin Reed being, you know, in his second year, being the guy that's more versatile that does a little bit of everything than paying a guy $16 million to do the same thing.
1: Right. Yep.
0: Um. So what's your unfulfilled desire? And this is a movie you want you wanted Houston to make that they didn't make that would have helped them tremendously in 2019. Because I think one of the things that happens in the off season is we get really married to an idea or I know this happens to me every year like you really want them to do one thing or a few things be like this would be perfect for this team and they don't do it and then it sucks you kind of like are bummed out about it and uh, and then you wait like you know 7 months later you're like yeah or you wait 3 years later in the case of Sancho Henderson being bad
1: <laughs> right i think ours might might be pretty similar i think it's not saying an interior pass rush guy like Sheldon Richardson or Muhammad Wilkerson or somebody like that who could come in? Who could have come in and made a difference in in the middle of the the line? That non-move for guys who were out there and available, who could have done it, killed me.
0: Yeah, I had the same one as well too. And there's also so many of them. Also, you know, Sue was yeah. really good last year. Richardson was pretty good. Um, Richardson was really good whenever before Miles Garrett almost murdered Mason Rudolph, and Rudolph right. Rudolph right. deserved it. I mean, I still I can't believe he. Rudolph was absolutely awful that game when he was doing, um, and then you also have, I mean, even like Malik Jackson, even though he didn't play at all last yeah. year, like Malik Jackson for $10 million a have been a fine contract, even though he only played, I think, a half of a game, and I mean, anybody would have really helped out this team, and I guess Wilkerson got hurt after three games last year, and he had five total tackles before he, he got hurt after three games, so. Actually, he but didn't even he didn't play last season. I don't even know what he's up to anymore.
1: Yeah, but even like a guy like Justin Houston would have been good, especially for what the Colts signed him for. Yeah, Get guys who can get to the quarterback on on a one- or two-year deal. You're not killing your cap space at that point in time, but you're doing the most important thing you have to do defensively, which is get to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And there was there were probably a good 10 guys out there we could have signed, and we sat on our hands and did nothing.
0: Yeah, no, and, and also, like, what did the Chiefs just do? They have the 29th ranked run defense this year by DVOing yards per attempt, and they fixed their run defense just by putting nine guys in the box on rundowns. Like, that's what, and like, that 49ers game, the their yards per attempt allowed numbers are all messed up because they allowed five runs greater than 10 yards, but they held them to like nine unsuccessful runs that game, and Forrest Groppolo in a second and nine. and uh, and third and long, the situations, and then they have a great pass defense that's more important. And the best way to stop the run is just by putting a lot of players there. you know, it allows you to be more more versatile if you don't have to do that. But uh, but yeah, the pass defense is more important than the run defense. yep I know watching watching Kansas City just really made me angry because I was watching them. And it was like it's really just interesting like the parallels between what they did and what Houston's been doing and the way they went all in and built around their franchise quarterback. And even like the failures read how a smicks have a smith and how he learned from and adjusted pretty quickly to build his team around Mahomes and, and actually put him in the place that so they kept failing to get at compared to like Houston. Like and like you watch Kansas City's offense and how many different things they do to create open throws for Mahomes. You watch Houston's offense and it's entirely different. And uh it's like I've watched Mahomes and you know he's a better quarterback than Watson is. Like he sees the game in a better way, he has a better arm. Um he's his release is better those sort of things but it's not like he's 10 percent better than watson you know he's like five percent better and so i was just really annoyed watching kansas city and be like yeah this is how you do it and they didn't able to win a super bowl because of it houston's you know uh they're like they're like the apes before they got the club and space odyssey before
1: yeah, the they, one before thing they that's... learned
0: how to use a bone it's mine in the head you know
1: well, the difference to me is is Andy Reid. Andy Reed's not is not you know Max protecting with two guys in routes. Yeah. Man. And so you Reid puts Mahomes in a position to succeed, whereas Bill O'Brien does not with Watson on many many downs. So you allow the guy to ad lib, you allow him to move around. You can take you can take the arm strength differences. Nobody's going to have Mahomes' arm strength, but I think Watson's got better ball placement, and I think that he can do just as many things Mahomes can on the run. But he doesn't have the targets downfield. If he's only got two guys downfield, who's he going to throw to? Mm-hmm. Or he's got Daniel Fells out in the flat. Who's going to get a two-yard, you know, reception? Like Ryan Griffin was really horrible as a Texan for good reasons. It's because that's the role he played in the Bill O'Brien offense. So you allow you put these guys in better positions and they do better. And ultimately, for me, that's the difference between Mahomes and Watson is the coaching.
0: Yeah, no, I I think so too. Um, Now, even like their skill players, too, it's like I think Kelsey and Hopkins are comparable. I think Fuller and Hill are comparable, even though they play a lot differently. But just like speed wise, they're fairly similar. Mm -hmm. I think you put Stills saying he's like a better version of Robinson. Like the one they don't have is somebody who's like, you know, Miko Hartman. But like even like a skill wise, like there isn't an enormous difference between a lot of things that they do. And even like Damian Williams and Duke Johnson isn't that big of a difference. The other thing that I think Kansas City did really well, too, is that when they ran the football— and, like, Kansas City doesn't have an elite offensive line either. Bosa destroyed Eric Fisher that entire game. Schwartz had a very good game against D4, but Ford, I think, was kind of injured and wasn't back to Mm -hmm. himself at all. But their interior had been bad, too, but they can put anybody at the interior and have them be good. But Whenever they ran the football, they run it against five-man boxes or six-man boxes, and they understand so well that you throw the ball to run the ball. You don't run to throw, you know? Um, so yeah, like watching them was like, I don't know, I guess it was like erotica. Like imagine, (laughs) imagine, imagine Watson in this. And now whenever I watch football nowadays, they always in the back of my head, like, oh yeah, imagine Deshaun Watson in this offense. Imagine what he'd do in this offense. Oh wow. Imagine him, imagine him doing that. And you know, like he had, they had moments this year where the offense was really great. But then, like I said earlier, they kind of like something works and they don't know how to expand upon or do anything differently, you know? And there's a lot of things out there available to him that they haven't even tried out yet.
1: No, that and that's been me. The whole football erotica Watson thing has been me for the past three years. I mean, you're still talking about Bill O'Brien, the guy who thought Tom Savage was, goodness to honest, the better starter than Deshaun Watson in the opening game in 2016?
0: I guess oh it was 17.
1: 17, yeah. <laughs> how, how you could have watched those two guys in the preseason and thought Tom Savage was better than Deshaun Watson is still, it's like, I can't calculate that. I cannot
0: –
1: it just – it's like I'm data from Star Trek, and this does not I, – I can't figure it out.
0: <laughs> yeah, we wasted way too much of our lives uh, because of, of the circumstances involved this team. And I was I was laughing the other day because I, re- I read the preview I wrote in the 2017 season, and a lot of it was just like a film review of Tom Savage. I'm like, he's bad. And as long as he plays he's right. gonna be bad. And there was like so many comments <laughs> were like, Well, he actually uh-huh. wasn't that bad at the end of sixteen and he needs to have a chance and just wait and we'll see what happens. Like he's bad and just we need to have Watson start now and, and my biggest fear that seventeen season was that it would take four weeks for Brian to understood it. And luckily it took him at half and you know, Watson towards ACL didn't matter anyways, but um it's just it's just like a never ending just series of of just like every season's dumber than the previous season, but The next question I have here is for me. It's called see you in the the XFL. So which Texans starter is most likely to play in the XFL one day?
1: I I did not watch any XFL games. Well,
0: I'm just saying which Texans starter is on a team. Oh, is
1: going to – is most likely. Oh, Carlos Hyde.
0: Okay. Carlos Hyde.
1: (laughs) I think he's built for it. You know – Everybody keeps talking about Hyde's great year, which is actually he had three great games. And, and had, a, well, whenever you, have a thousand, ones.
0: whenever you have a thousand yards receiving, you had a great season. Or a thousand yards re- rushing, you have a great season. Rushing. Yeah. That's all that right. matters for a running did,
1: back. Yeah. So that's, that's what I see. He's, he, he had moments. He looked quicker than he ever had. You know, he had his moments, but he was not great and he's not good. And I think that's where he's his logical end is with the XFL at this point.
0: Um, All right. So Carlos Hyde, where he ranked in rushing DVOA? Where do you have him at, as your guess?
1: In rush in rushing, he was he he was well he was near last, but he moved up. It was odd. He was thirty seventh.
0: He was twenty sixth.
1: Twenty sixth.
0: Yeah. And you know who who was last? Peyton, uh, Peyton Barber. Leonard? No, Peyton Barber. Oh, God, I
1: should have known that. Of course. Yep. He's always like, near the bottom, no matter what.
0: Yeah, I like Ronald Jones a lot more than him. Ryan Jones actually has some juice. But yeah, no, Fournette was down towards the bottom. Actually, Eckler was 35th. All of his value came in the receiving game. but
1: The receiving, yeah.
0: And Le'Veon Bell, of course, was 44th. He was the guy who was down at the bottom for the majority of the year.
1: Yeah. I mean, Hyde was fine, but uh, if, if we sign him to like – a fifteen million guaranteed contract—you just know we're off the rails.
0: <laughs> I mean, he is a Bill O'Brien guy. Uh, yeah, I mean they'd be better off rolling with Duke Johnson and just drafting guy. Well, if you she even draft anybody because running backs are so cheap. Just find anybody—it doesn't really matter. I have DeAndre. I have DeAndre Carter. He's like the seventh best wide receiver on this team, probably. And after the the punt after the kickoff return fumble, uh, like he can't play in Houston ever again after that. Uh, like. You know, Tyler Urban had some success in Green Bay this year like <laughs> let him have a new beginning but I think Carr's new beginning should be on like the Dallas Renegades or um, you know the Seattle lock monsters or or a Sasquatch, whatever is they're called you know so I my my pick here is DeAndre Carter
1: uh, yeah because he went full Tyler Scissorhands hands on that return and it was just right there I mean you just oh my god yeah. was I the only one who saw it coming a mile away? Like as he was running through and where he was holding the ball. Was I the only one who saw that?
0: I blame anyway. the I blame the camera angle personally. Like when they did the sky cam, it was like the Blair Witchcraft. You're like something awful is oh, yeah. about to happen. It was paranormal activity. And <laughs> and the funniest thing too is like when Darwin Thompson catches it, he like I thought I was like, did he was he showing off after that? he was just so confused. I think he didn't even know if he could return that ball or not. Yeah. He was so confused he didn't even know what to do. But yeah, I screamed though. I I audibly screamed, and I couldn't believe it. I and mean, After that play happens, like, yeah, that's it. That's it. I
1: thought that he was confused and then trying to pick up a block at the same time. It's like, I can I do this? But look, <laughs> I got a blocker.
0: <laughs> oh, man. What a, what a fun time. Uh, so our, now we have some viewer questions or listener questions. The first is from Huggy Bear. He asks, the Texans Chum Player of the Decade, and Chum is Carlos Half the Middle, and so we can reserve this for any sort of like really inefficient play or any, any player who gets a bunch of touches, who is very inefficient with the ball whenever he has it.
1: Well, I, I think anybody who, and I, I just want to double check cause I think the number is 673, but I want to double check the number. It is 673. <laughs> Alfred blue 673 carries is a Houston Texan playing for Bill O'Brien for 2,407 yards at 3.6 yards of carry. Mm. Nobody can Nobody can out-chum Alfred Blue. He's like elite. <laughs> yeah. I, and I can't believe, I still remember the 673. That's how deeply that number is sunk <laughs> into my brain balls.
0: I think that's a mental <laughs> illness. Yeah, me making Truly. fun of people watching the... Uh, the XFL. I think we're actually the mentally ill ones. I'm trying to project myself, project my own right. inadequacies on others, <laughs> my own inadequacies on other people. Well, it's like what you, know, Carl Jung says: uh, the things that you hate in other people probably say more about yourself. You know, right. So I wanted to see some real fast. So he oh, averaged you're, you're, he averaged three point six yards to carry
1: over his career.
0: Okay, so with with the Texans, you know how many rushing attempts it would take for him to have the all time rushing record at three point six yards a carry. <laughs> it would take five thousand ninety eight rushing attempts. And so if we gave him, you know, two hundred and fifty a season, it would take him twenty and a half years or twenty point three nine years to break Emmonsmith's rushing record uh for Alpha Blue. And,
1: and, and that's Bill no O'Brien injuries. And
0: that's no injuries too.
1: Bill O'Brien would have been happy to continue to do that. He I, I cannot I, it's just it's it's striking to me. Five years, 673 carries that he willingly gave Alfred Blue the football. I mean, how do you even – holy crap. Don't even have the words. Yeah. I just – anyway, there you go. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I think we really bring out the worst in each other. It's supposed to be a celebration, and we always, <laughs> it always comes back to Alfred Blue.
1: That, that, that's it. I'm taking off my shirt and getting out the corn oil.
0: <laughs> uh, the next question we had here was from – Upper texan 99 and that's at Upper texan 99 and he asked how many draft picks will bob give the roughnecks for sammy coates
1: <laughs> i love that question because it's just so full of hate it it really is um i would say at least a third round pick
0: yeah i didn't even trade the comp pick they're about to get for losing losing Matt or losing matthew they didn't get comp pick for cream jackson because Jackson sat out the last three weeks of the season with an injury. I think just stick it to Houston, too. He's like, yeah, I could play, Probably. but uh, who cares? I don't need to at all. We're, you know, 5 and 10 right now. Um, and I just murdered y'all for <laughs> you know, 60 minutes, you know, three weeks previously. But, uh, I, yeah, I think they would give up the comp pick for it. And then I think Bill O'Brien would be very flustered and confused that you cannot trade NFL draft picks for XFL picks. And XFL, XFL would be like, you can just sign him. Like, I'm sure he'll go there for free you don't need to give us anything. And then he'd be very confused why they're driving such a hard bargain and then offer a 2023 second round pick is what would happen. <laughs> so the next question we have here is from Carlos Flores, a uh, friend of the show. He has the best Texans H-E-B commercial of the year. And there's the naturals, the ancient Rome commercial and the sushi commercial. I take it. You don't have you cable going? in your household. No.
1: I don't pay attention to commercials, like, even a little bit. Sorry.
0: I get, I, I've only seen the Rome one and the sushi one. And I guess I get the sushi one because that's the one where he throws the thing with the chopsticks and he catches it. I'm like, well, that was pretty cool. It's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's good stuff. But that'd be my pick for it. Uh, did you read the, the Name Redacted thing piece that came out about how he's so happy and how he isn't happy at the same time? no i did
1: not read that i should greg Bedard, just for
0: the Schadenfreude. yeah greg Bar- Bedard wrote it and it's funny because he's like yeah i love my life right now i'm in business meetings just he's pretty much just like an influencer for like corporate america which is perfect for him and uh, he's like yeah but like i can still play i'm still probably like the 19th but i'm still probably like one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league right now but you know, the league has changed and nobody nobody wants me at all and it's fine i'll just hang out here and be a family guy and golf and whatever so I'm glad he, he I'm glad he's enjoying himself right now.
1: How is he one of the nineteenth best guys? I think he said he's
0: one of the tenth best quarterbacks. I'll have to go back and pull it up for you. But uh yeah.
1: Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, he's it, a he's a river in Africa, huh?
0: Well, the one thing about him though, if he was playing the Super Bowl, he would have been able to attack single high safety looks unlike Jimmy Garoppolo. That was one that was the <laughs> one thing he could That's do. The only, he, the only thing that. he could have done that. I, I still can't get over that watching the video of it. It's like, Casey just played one single high deep and said, do something. I dare you, Jimmy. I dare you. And it's like, no, and we'll he just had, keep throwing slants and posts. And he had one chance and he missed them.
1: And all Brock could do was throw against single high safeties. He could throw those those deep
0: outs. Yeah, that I mean, that that pass in the snow against New England, that was a very good, that was a, a god-tier throw. Uh, so the next one I have here, well, I guess we can do some of the generic ones and and then the first one I have here is Special Teams Player of the Year.
1: Oh, God. I can't find his name. Where's my hook? Safety. Kian Crossen. Is that who I'm looking for?
0: He was, that was a defensive back they traded a six-round pick for.
1: Yeah. God, dog it. He's played safety for us, and I cannot hook the name.
0: There's the I'm Leo tired. Guy. There was... Mike Adams. No. Are you talking about Mike Adams right now? He played 75 no. postseason snaps. Did you know Mike Adams no. played 75 postseason snaps for the Houston Texans?
1: Yes. But it was Romeo Because uh, Gibson fought. was hurt. Yeah.
0: It was Romeo played. And Gibson played like 42 snaps against the Titans that week and got hurt.
1: Oh, I can't think of his name. That's how enthused I am. We just Our special teams are okay this year.
0: I would I would say uh, I would say Barkevius Mingo just because he made the block,
1: Oh, uh, the block.
0: Yeah, I have to go Mingo, and whenever he made the block, at the time I was like, wait, was the client trade worth it? Is O'Brien a genius? Is everything I know wrong? And then the Chiefs put up, you know, forty-one straight points after that. Or no, they they didn't put up forty-one. They put up they outscored him forty-one to three after that point.
1: God, I can't remember who it was. There was somebody who impressed me by always being downfield, and I can't remember. I suck. Okay, it's I give
0: good. up. Uh, so who's your defensive player of the year?
1: So I was going to wait. Well, it's my turn. Okay, yeah, go, go. Yeah, so so I was going to ask. It's, it's kind of along those lines, but I thought it just might be fun to talk about it. Who was the best linebacker for the Texans in 2019?
0: The best linebacker? I would say Cunningham. Yeah. Uh, but Cunningham had an easier spot than McKinney did because he's the backside linebacker playing on the weak side formations, and I and mean, he just run free and just run around guards and just splatter people. Like some of the hits he put on Derrick Henry were really gruesome. Where oh, that's like yeah. Henry's just like being completely side by him, staying up in the box or looking for a hole, and Cunningham's running past um, like Nate Davis and just it, I just like seeing shockwaves through him, you know.
1: I really enjoyed watching both guys this year. I thought Cunningham was an edge above McKinney this year, but they're both really athletic guys. And and McKinney brings that hugeness factor that he's just so like, he's like six, five and everybody around him looks like they're, you know, sitting in a sinkhole or something like that. But I really enjoyed watching those two guys this year.
0: Yeah, and it's been fun watching Cunningham go from being a bad tackler in Vanderbilt to a very good one. Mm-hmm. And like he was good his rookie year too. Like Houston was able to correct that pretty quickly for him. The one thing that's weird about Cunningham is that he has all that speed and quickness, but he can't play man coverage against really great running backs at all. Just no change of yeah. It's just weird. Like yeah. what, like what Kamara yeah. did to him, um, what the Raiders rookie running back did to him. I can't remember his name right now. Jacobs. What yeah, Jacobs did to him, like there's a few guys who really who really got him good in the open field, uh which is strange for considering what his skill set is too. I really like whenever McKinney's an edge rusher also, yes, like that's so much fun. It's just like he has a a bat with nails stick, sticking out of it whenever he rushes the passer.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's fun.
0: Uh, so what was your favorite game in the two thousand and nineteen season?
1: I thought there was only one answer to this, according to you. like i'm I'm afraid that if I don't say the game that you're gonna get upset at me and storm out and cry. No, and it's gonna it's, be sad.
0: It's your life. It's your own uh, <laughs> it's your own phenomena logical experience
1: beating the Patriots, man. There I just never go. thought it was going to happen in my lifetime.
0: I'm just so glad it happened last decade. You know, it's like they're O&A right. against this decade. I'm so tired of the two thousand and tens. I hate it. I'm so I'm so done with it. Not that I hate it, but I was I'm ready for new experiences. And finally, um, the Texans skipped to this one after the same thing all the time.
1: Yeah, it was just nice to see the difference. It was you know, we won because Tom Brady had trash to throw to. We won because Bradley Roby made a great read. A lot of things had to fall into place for that game to happen. But I just never. Especially going back to the Kubiak era, and you know, I just never thought we were ever going to beat the Patriots. And it was nice to just do it once.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took him to be like 16th and <laughs> an uh, offensive DVF for it to happen. Other than the turning point of that game, though, it was Duke Johnson scoring the touchdown after the Roby pick because they had plays like the Roby interception. But the difference in those previous years was that Andre John, I mean uh, Matt Schaub would overthrow Andre Johnson on third and seven in the back of the end zone, or Will Fuller would drop the touchdown pass or you know, a variety of other reasons, you know, they would never actually capitalize on the opportunities that they had. And Watson and you know, Duke Johnson were able to do it at that game. Um, do you have any other awards at all?
1: Well, I kind of skipped past yours, the best defensive player of the year. If you wanted to talk about that.
0: Uh, I picked JJ J. J. Watt because he was the best defensive player. I know he only played half the season, but they went from a mediocre pass rush because of him entirely. Like that came against, he had against the Colts. He was the only player to put any pressure on anybody. And it was really kind of fun, the the chess match that Romeo Cornell played with the Colts' offensive line, how they moved him from inside to outside, the stunts they used to get him one-versus-one rush opportunities. And I know that he only played half the season, that sort of thing. But I think the difference between him being on the field him not being on the field, it was kind of like whenever you can make the argument in two thousand, I guess sixteen or in two thousand fifteen, when maybe it was four, no, no, gosh, it was so long ago. When Payne Manning had his uh vertebrae fused and the Colts went two and fourteen, like yeah, I guess you could make Payne Manning the MVP, and I wouldn't argue against it because look how bad this team is without him. And so I, it's kind of same similar argument I'm making for uh, the Texas on J.J. Watt. So Watt's my defensive player of the year.
1: Yeah, and I'm gonna go somebody different just to be a little bit contrarian, and, and it's gonna be Justin Reed. Because I thought he brought so much. He, he was a true game changer against Tampa Bay. Um, he's young and up and coming. And it's it's great. The Texans throughout their entire livelihood have always been straight trash at safety. We had Andre Howell for a while, who was fine. He's a great center fielder. And Kareem Jackson, when he was able to play safety, of course, was was elite. But Justin Reed is like, to me, he's like Ed Reed in his prime. And that's what he's going into. And I'm really excited to see him continue to develop.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to say Reed, if you say McKinney, if you say Cunningham, I mean, if you even say reader, like I'm not going to really argue against it. Um, I understand completely where you're coming from for it. But, yeah, I mean, I think I think Reed would be my number two pick or my 1B pick in this case. Speaking yeah. of Reed, did you did – you, I guess Bleacher Report does this thing now where they play pool with the athletes and the athletes tell funny stories or whatever. And Ed Reed was talking today about how, like the Texas playing with the Texans felt like the old South, you know, and how coaches and stuff talk to players in certain ways. Like they let they talk to y'all like this here. They let you do this. It was it was it's worth checking out. But I think it was big time revisions history. It's like yeah, Ed, you had a bad hip and you couldn't move and you were awful and you were terrible that entire season. And so I don't really understand what you're saying at all now. But he was is it was one of the, one of the few times that ever like. Um, a player spoke out against playing for the Texans, I guess.
1: Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to value anything Ed Reed says. It was just a big grift. Yeah. He got his money. He doesn't care.
0: Yeah. That's how I felt too. Listening to Mike, this all just sounds like a guy who had an awful year whose career was over and he's trying to make it sound better than it was. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm sure if you're on, if you go on Twitter, today, you can find it. So the offensive player of the year, who's your offensive player of the year?
1: I'm going with the wizard. I'm going with Deshaun Watson. I just, he, he is constantly put in situations that do not take advantage of his, of his skill set, And yet he's still able to make plays like he did against the bills. And, and I, there are, you know, I'm almost 50. I've watched a ton of football in my life and nobody gives me thrills quite the way that Deshaun Watson does. Mm-hmm. He is so much fun. Yes. There might be Patrick Mahomes. He might be better, but look, I'm rooting for Deshaun Watson.
0: Yeah, I have Watson as Alman's player too, and I would make him the MVP as well. Uh, would you agree with that statement? Is he your MVP, or would you pick Justin Reed over him?
1: Oh no, he's he's the MVP. Like the Texans, I I honestly believe deep in my heart, the Texans are a three and thirteen team without Deshaun Watson.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I have him at six, uh, but like if you put Tyrod Taylor at quarterback, or if you put like AJ McCarron at quarterback, uh. I think they win six, maybe. I don't know. If they if Watts healthy, for sixteen games, I think they could win six. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I, can, I I think see he's. Where, I see where you're coming from.
1: He's that big of a difference maker because he overcomes the Bill O'Brien game plan.
0: Yeah, well, and I mean, one of the interesting things too about the season was that this was Houston going all in their offense. You know, training for tensile. They had all their skill players in place. They drafted all these offensive linemen. They were ready to score a bunch of points this year. And this was the first year they had a positive DVOA, and it was 0.3%. And they were, I think, 18th in point scored this year, too. So uh, hopefully some lessons were learned for next year. I don't know. And I guess really the only thing I could say, like pro Houston for the reason for it, is that the defense was bad. So they played a really ball-control-heavy offense just to make sure to limit how many possessions their defense faced. And if that was the reason for it, I can kind of sort of understand it. But the problem with that is that you miss out, and you're not ready to, you know, score 49 points. Or if you need to score to be a team of the Kansas City Chiefs in the postseason, and it was really similar to what we saw, in you know, 2018 against the Colts. Do it's like, yeah, you can win 16-10 against the Broncos, but what are you gonna do whenever you play, you know, the Colts in the playoffs or the Chiefs in the playoffs? You know,
1: you, you should always be on the gas at all times. Your goal should be not to outscore the team, but to blow the other team out and not give them a chance. Mm -hmm. And you can't, we've talked about this multiple times. You can't go from just running the ball up the middle repeatedly and then scoring 49 points. That's not a thing that happens.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, And I guess the last thing I want to say about the 2019 season before we call this one, before we call the end of this one is that I I thought 2019, I thought Houston was going to go, I picked him to go eight and eight after the tensile trade, and I thought they were gonna miss the, po- the postseason last year, um, and the reasoning for that I think the biggest thing that I missed was how good Deshaun Watson is. Like I have my I have big blinders on how much of an impact he makes and how he can turn just about any sort of team into like a playoff sort of caliber team, or in this case, you know, win the po- win the AFC South and win a playoff game and end up where they always end up, which is the divisional round. And I do think the season was a lot more fun than I expected it to be. I think it was it was fun. It was a lot better than I ever imagined it was going to be back in August after the Clowney and tensile trades and everything else. I thought it was going to be disastrous, and it really wasn't. So it's really just a testament to how incredible, you know, Watson is.
1: Yeah, 100% agree. It's just, I, <clears throat> even with Bill O'Brien, with his, you know, up the middle fascination, Deshaun Watson makes everything better.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was thinking also, too, my AFC South preview. I picked the Jags to win the South, and you know they won four games or whatever. But I didn't foresee Jalen Ramsey not willing to play there. Boye being hurt, Cameron Robinson being hurt, uh, Andrew Norwell being completely awful. And hor- I mean, one of the worst guards in football is Andrew Norwell, and every time he pulls, it's in front of God. I didn't think Miles Jack would be one of the worst middle linebackers in the league, which was a thing that happened. Um, I didn't think Yankin you know, Gakwe star start for us. I thought they were to have a great pass defense right away. I thought Foles was going to be pretty good in that like a quick-passing quick, quick, pra- quick passing horizontal offense. And he, of course, broke his collarbone and made one throw uh, last season. So I was right about the Colts, and I was right about the tides, and the fact that they need to become really great at something, and it was their rushing attack, which ended up happening for them. Uh, but the Colts being bad last year was beautiful for me. Every time I see, hear the Colts, I just boo in my head a Samuel Boo in the middle of a restaurant or anything else, you know?
1: Well, just look what happened the first, you know, the last week of the preseason and the first week of the regular season is um, Andrew Luck retired, Nick Foles dead. Mm -hmm. You know, who saw that coming? If you wrote your preview and, you know, before Andrew, especially before Andrew Luck retired, because that means in the division, the Texans now have gone, are going to go instead of going, you know, two and four, yeah. three and three are going to go five and one kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And I, I think I wrote my Texans preview before the luck injury, but I wrote my Colts preview after the luck and after, or after the luck retirement. And I was like, yeah, the Colts are going to be, you know, very mediocre this year without him. And whenever I did the Colts podcast, the Colts guy I talked to was like, oh no, they're a 12 and four team with luck at minimum. And they're a minimum 10, team with Brissa. I'm like, yeah, but they're not great at anything at all. You know? And the colt, but the Colts have the most cap space this year, and they're gonna have a ton of cap space and draft capital and everything else. And I think it's me, fun or Philip River go- Rivers goes there this offseason. season. <laughs> he's
1: done, dude. Is done. I don't
0: know. I, th- Good. I don't know. I think he'd be better than Jacoby Brissett though. With an offensive line, just sign on. Uh, sign no, on, like I- two receivers for him.
1: I think he's done. <laughs> He he and Drew Brees I don't know they're both fighting for the most done old quarterback right now. Imagine like
0: he, imagine Tom Brady imagine Bridgewater going to Indy and having to play him twice a year. <laughs> Man, I may have to move.
1: Oh my god.
0: Uh, so yeah, I mean I I do I think Bree I think Brady's fine if he's in a good offense. He didn't have any skill players with them. Brees he just can't throw the ball downfield at all. Yeah. You know. And uh and like the even the Vikings they aren't a good cover team at all. They don't they can't play man coverage and they just like yeah we'll double cover Michael Thomas and we're gonna win this game. And they had to bring Taysom Hill in to make their sideline throw. Taysom Hill had to come and throw the ball downfield for him. It is embarrassing.
1: Breeze is done. Breeze is like beyond done at this point. I mean, the Saints if they they need to make a decision that look Breeze is done and Bridgewater's the guy. Sign the guy.
0: Yeah. Do you see the Taysom Hill stuff? Well, actually, he's the guy. He's the guy. Yeah, yeah whatever. Whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So that's our show for Anaya. We'll be back on next week. I don't know if you want to do – maybe we'll do a rookie review. Maybe we'll do a Texans offseason preview next week. I'm kind of leaning towards doing an offseason preview next week, though. If you look at the cap hits, what? cut some players, twirl our mustaches. Whatever.
1: Yeah, this is this is the, all the fun I have in a week happens during this podcast, like literally. So let's do it.
0: Okay, well, great. Well, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening, Red Radio. Thank you for being on tonight, BFD. Uh, we'll be back on later this week. We'll do a, a quarterback carousel, uh, a, a quarterback carousel podcast, and then next week we'll do something Texans relay as well, and keep it going. So those are you. my
1: gang, gang. I'm flashing my my M gang sign
0: love it <laughs> and then also make sure to give the, the podcast five stars review it send to your friends send to your family even if you don't have friends or family send it to yourself and then you know, spam five stars and that sort of thing too uh, but until next time I'm Matt Weston thank you for listening to Albert Radio thank you for being on site BFT.